Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. among the Afghanistan government to this mission failing there? Well, first of all, the mission hasn't failed yet. We went for two reasons. One, to bring Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell. They're going to be getting checks in the mail that are consequential. I wrote the bill on the environment. Pay them more. This is an employee's, employee's bargaining chip now. What's happening? Hi, everyone. Hello. Happy Thursday. Is it Thursday? I said happy Thursday. Well, I was going to say, I did hear it was Steve Holland's 29th birthday. So happy 29th birthday. I'm a terrible singer, but I am willing to lead a song here if you are all game. It may be. It may be. Who's with me? Someone here has a good voice. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Steve. Go ahead. Go ahead, Rachel. Um, the, the president's reference to door-to-door campaigns for vaccines sparked kind of a backlash. You know, Missouri's governor is uh, saying he doesn't want that. The Republican lawmaker saying basically stay off our lawns. Can you say who is doing the door knocking and where? Sure. Well, let me first say that this has been ongoing since April, and the best people to talk about vaccinations are local, trusted messengers, doctors, faith leaders, community leaders. Do you have something, April, you want to share with the group? <laughs> okay. Um, so those are the people who are the trusted messengers um, around the country. Thanks, Jen. As you probably have noticed, gas prices are up considerably right now all across the U.S. The average price of gasoline is $3.14. In fact, gas prices are up 40% since the very beginning of the year. Uh, what is your message to motorists out there in the country that are concerned about how much it costs to, to get to work every day, uh, how it's really impacting their family budgets? Well, first I would say that um, gas prices do historically rise in the summer. Uh, as it relates to these lawsuits, it's a, certainly a decision for the platforms to make. Uh, I think it's safe to say that the president spends a lot less time obsessing over social media than the former president. With
And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 12th of July, year of our Lord, 2021. Holy guacamole, Batman. It's a lot of bullshit in the intro there. Biden talking about getting upset about Afghanistan, whispering. We're singing to reporters. Parents are teaching their kids to freaking dog flags. Trump goes to an event, gets fucking mucho grande praise. And we end on Anifa harassing people that are people of color. But media ignored that altogether. Today's show is going to be, well, what did I title this show? Let's bring it up uh, and see when I formulated this bad boy this weekend. Fear. No. That's not it. There it is. It didn't auto-update. Fascism. We do. It's good. Today, from COVID to crack, it doesn't matter. These motherfuckers are fascist. How do I know this? It's all the key things. It's fear and scaring people and suppressing people. Uh, Katie Pavlich, just a simple thing like the birthday song. The White House briefing started today with Press Secretary Jen Psaki singing happy birthday to Reuters reporter Steve Holland. Now, remember, Ducey had a birthday, and she goes, oh, you had a birthday the other day. Happy birthday. There was no cakes and shit because he's bad. He asks questions she doesn't want to hear. They just want their narrative put out. She then launched into a description of January 6th as one of the darkest days in American history. How do I know they're fascist? Here's your vice president. Is agreeing to voter ID one of those compromises that you'd support? I don't think that we should underestimate what that could mean. Because in some people's mind, that means, well, you're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no... Kinkos, there's no office max. Rural areas, huh? Yeah, we're the people for voter ID. And yeah, we got scanners and copiers. We can drive to a Kinko. While you were saying we were nowhere in the lockdown, we literally were driving farther to get our groceries and you were criticizing us. So, and then she says, Phoebe Harris talks about multiple assignments from Biden. Maybe I don't say no enough. Maybe you don't do anything. But the most shocking stuff, if you really want to get to the brown cow now stuff, is Afghanistan. Afghanistan right now is such a fucking clusterfuck. It is so bad, everybody has to admit it. 
I got this really great soundbite. Um, let me put this soundbite up because it's some good shit. Another milestone today, the commanding general here, General Scott Miller, is ending his long tour of duty, handing over responsibility. But there are questions about what the U.S. is leaving behind. Uh, the Taliban are gaining ground. And could this country once again become a safe haven for international terrorists? As the U.S. military winds down operations, the top American general handing over this morning to a new leader with a far more hands-off mission. The Taliban are closing in on Kabul. As U.S.-trained Afghan military forces put up half-hearted resistance or surrender outright. So is the United States heading right back to where it started? The U.S. invaded Afghanistan nearly 20 years ago because the Taliban were in power. And they hosted Osama bin Laden, whose group Al-Qaeda was responsible for 9-11. Now, one military unit is still fighting hard to prevent future bin Ladens from taking hold. The elite Afghan commandos. I recently saw them in action, attacking a Taliban safe house. What about foreign fighters, extremists, terrorists? We understand that they are starting to come back in once again these people who are coming to uh, create troubles and uh, problems for the world for the future as they did in 9-11. Uh, Even worse than 9-11, I'm telling you. Fauzia Kufi is a member of parliament and a negotiator with the Taliban. Extremists tried to assassinate her twice. You have been in war and in war people don't distribute sweets. They kill each other. So do you think those who actually have been killed they will not go for revenge and hostilities? They will. I put that question to Mutasim Aga, a former Taliban leader who knew bin Laden. Will Afghanistan once again become a base for international terrorist attacks? The Taliban signed a peace deal with the United States, and a main point is that the Taliban will not allow any terrorist groups to operate in Afghanistan, he says, adding there will be more guarantees once the Taliban are in power. It was interesting talking to him and understanding his perspective on things, and he's still in close ties with the Taliban leadership. What he's hoping for is that as U.S. troops leave, the Taliban takes over, and that it will be the Taliban's responsibility to keep groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS out. Is he lying? The Taliban claim now to control most of Afghanistan. The remarks come a day after President Biden defended the decision to withdraw U.S. troops. If you came of age in the 9-11 era, hearing all the arguments for the necessity and moral goodness of war on terror, the Oval Office addresses the deployment headlines, entire presidential campaigns based around it. It's hard to describe how demoralizing this headline is. My class watched the second tower go down in real time. Some classmates vowed to sign up when they were old enough. They did. Don't think we we ever considered we'd be there. We'd see this headline 20 years later. I know I'm not saying we should have shouldn't have withdrawn. This actually seems reasonable at this point. Just distraught and ending with the Taliban waving goodbye. It's distraught, the right word. Not sure that word to use the describing a feeling of resignation and failure. Simultaneously, if war comes, will the U.S. Navy be prepared? A new report details a culture of bureaucracy and risk aversion that is corroding readiness because they only worry about 
woke. You know, it made me think of my positions as an adult now. And I remember when the war on terror came, it was the left that was super duper crazy about the concept of the Patriot Act. And I used to always say, you know, I have nothing to fear. I don't do anything wrong. I don't have illegal guns. I don't do drugs. Go through my shit. And now 20 years later, with an administration that is crushing, I mean, just crushing civil liberties and oppressing those that they don't agree with. And pushing cultural changes that are in stream everywhere. Not the federal government, schools, the whole nine yards. All of a sudden, I'm not comfortable with the simple things like the NSA. Spying on Tucker Carlson because he's the wrong politics. But letting NBC News do it and, and they don't give a fuck. That's fascism, folks. When you have media that is just Papang Yang and Pravda... And they can do whatever they want, but if you're an oppositional or if you actually just critique, I mean, you see how he acts when his friends, these are his friends, these are all liberals. It isn't Ducey. It's other networks going, hey, Afghanistan's a clusterfuck. I all of a sudden don't trust the government. It's not political, it's actions. I didn't fear the government under Trump. It's not because he thought like me. He didn't. He didn't talk like me. Didn't walk like me. The guy was a jackass. But the federal government wasn't suppressing oppositional views. Now they are. I don't want them in my business. I don't trust them. Because if anything they've shown us, they will crush opposition. Which, mediaite Tucker Carlson spends seven minutes reading random Twitter thread to explain why Trump supporters think the election's rigged. I'm going to read that. Because it was a very interesting read. Now, on my show, I've broken it down pretty simple. I'm an independent. I'm not mega. But after four years of being told that Russia stole the election, I can totally understand how people believe this election was stolen. Because the Russia was something that was floated and found to be a total lie, just made up by the Hillary Clinton campaign. We watched 80 laws get changed around the legislations. Mail-in ballot become mandatory in most states. Whole voter rolls mailed out, and then five key states and key states only stopped counting. And then mysteriously started counting, but didn't announce it, and came up with stupid things like Fulton County water pipes that didn't exist. We saw videos with suitcases of votes. Thousands of people going to Twitter. Man, I saw people running weird shit. Elections in New York where they wrote test ballots. I mean, there's a lot more there there than there was Russia, Putin, Steele dossier, $40 million, 
multiple investigations, media part of it, throwing out the electoral college crazy shit that was okay. So I could understand it. Especially when they spent every minute of every day attacking him, blocking him, and trying to impeach him over net noid stuff. I mean, Barack Obama on open mic said he was going to do what the fuck he wanted around Congress. They didn't impeach him. But Trump did a phone call, and some biased colonel thought it was good. And conservatives thought it was good because they just hated this guy. So if you were a Trumper, this thread kind of breaks it down. I think I've had discussions with enough boomer-tier Trump supporters who believe the 2020 election was fraudulent to extract a general theory about the perspective. It's also the perspective of most of the people of the Capitol on 1-6 and probably even Trump himself. Most believe some or all of the theories involving midnight ballots, voting machines, etc., But what you find when you talk to them is that while they'll defend those positions with info they got from Hannity or Breibart or whatever, they're not particularly attached to them. Here are the facts, actual confirmed facts that shaped their perspective. One, the FBI, etc. spied on the 2016 Trump campaign using evidence manufactured by Clinton campaign. We now know that all involved knew it was fake from day one. Brennan's July 2016 memo, etc. These are Tea Party people, the type who give their kids a pocket constitution for the birthday and have founding fathers' memes in their bios. The intel community spying on a presidential campaign using fake evidence, including forged documents, is a big deal to them. Everyone involved lied about their involvement as long as they could. We only learned the DNC paid for the manufactured evidence because of a court order. Comey denied on TV knowing the DNC paid for it when we have emails from a year earlier proving that he knew. This was true with everyone from CIA Director Brennan and Adam Schiff who were on TV saying they'd seen clear evidence of collusion with Russia while admitting under oath behind closed doors that they hadn't. All the way down the line, in the end, we learned it was all fake. Now, let that sit for a second. And what I really ask is like the the freaking, I can't say his name, and Kansas, and the dude I know in Florida, and because it doesn't talk to me, Dennis in New York, really think if this was your candidate, that happened. Say it was Obama, if you were an Obama person, that happened. What would you think? Everyone involved lied about their involvement as long as they could. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading that again. Here we go. At first, many Trump people were worried there must be some collusion because every media intel agency would make it up out of nothing. When it was clear that they had made it up, people expected a reckoning and shed many illusions about their government when it didn't happen. We know as fact, A, the Steele dossier was the sole evidence used to justify spying on the Trump campaign. B, the FBI knew the Steele dossier was a DNC op. C, Steele's source told the FBI that the info was unserious. D, they did not inform the court of any of this and kept spying. 
Trump supporters know the collusion case front and back. They went from worrying the collusion must be real to suspecting it might be fake to realizing it was a scam, then watched as every institution, agency, the press, Congress, academia, gas, let them for another year. Worse, collusion was used to scare people away from working in the administration. They knew their entire lives would be investigated. Many quit because they were being bankrupt by legal fees. The DOG, press, and government destroyed lies and actively subverted an elective admin. He won. But he was treated like he didn't win. This is your guy now. you got to put the hat on. It's your guy, girl, what have you. Not that I hate Trump, so I don't give a fuck. Which is, I think, what most of these people do. I just hate that guy. He's unpresidential. He's this, he's that. Doesn't matter. Take it out. This is where people who politically identified was largely defined by a naive belief in what they learned in civics class began to see the outline of a regime that crossed all institutional boundaries because it has stepped out of the shadows to unite against an interloper. GOP propaganda still has many of them thinking in terms of partisan binaries, but a lot of Trump supporters see that the regime is not partisan. They all know that the same institutions would have taken opposite sides if it was Tulsi Gabbard versus Jeb Bush. That's so true. It's so fucking true. For perspective that's more grounded in reality, Bernie Sanders. Twice in every poll and every everything you feel in your gut. Bernie was winning and they stopped it. So much smoke. There was a gigantic walkout at the DNC convention and the press, and everybody covered that up to make it look like everybody was, well, we're good. We're happy Hillary's the pick. When reality is they weren't. I'm sorry, my, my allergies are garbage today. There's so much pollen. So much pollen. <clears throat> it's hard to describe to people on the left who are used to thinking of government as a conspiracy, Watergate, Cointel Pro, WMD, etc., how shocking and disillusioning this was for people who encourage their sons to enlist in the army and hate people who don't stand for the anthem. They could have managed the shock if it only involved the government, but the behavior of the corporate press is really what radicalized them. They hate journalists more than they hate people, any politician or government official, because they feel most betrayed by them. The idea that the press is driven by ratings and sensationalism became untenable. If that were true, they'd be all over the Epstein story. The corporate press is the propaganda arm of the regime they now see in an outline. Nothing anyone says will ever make them unsee that, period. I'm with them on this portion. This is profoundly disoriented. Many of them don't know for certain whether ballots were faked in November 2020, but they know for absolute certain that the press, the FBI, etc. would lie to them if there was. They have every reason to believe that, and it's probably true. They watch the press behave like animals for four years. Tens of millions of people will always see Kavanaugh as a gang rapist based on nothing because of CNN. And CNN seemed proud of that. They led a lynch mob against high school kids. They cheered 
on summer riots. Think about that. They always claim the media had liberal bias, fine, whatever. They still thought the press would admit truth that they were cornered. Now they don't. It's a different thing to watch them invent stories whole cloth in order to destroy regular lives and spark mass violence. Time Magazine told us that during the 2020 riots, there were weekly conferences calls involving, among others, leaders of the protests, local officials refused to stop them, and media people who framed them for political effect. In Ukraine, we call that a color revolution. Throughout the summer, Democrat governors took advantage of COVID to change voting procedures. It wasn't just the mail-ins. They lowered signature matching standards, etc. After the collusion scam, they fake impeachment. Trump people expected shenanigans by now. Fake impeachments. We now know that Trump's request for Ukraine to corporate cooperate with the DOJ regarding Biden money activities in Ukraine was in support of an active investigation being pursued by the FBI and Ukrainian AG at the time. And so a completely legitimate request that he was impeached for. Then you got the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. Big Tech ran a full-on censorship campaign against a major newspaper to protect a political candidate. Period. Everyone knows it. All the tech companies know it. Admitted it was a mistake. But you know, the election's over. So who cares? Goes without saying, but if the New York Times and Don Jr.'s laptop full of pics of him smoking crack and engaging in group sex, lots of lurid family drama, emails describing direct corruption and backed up by the CEO of the company that we're using, the New York Times wouldn't have been banned. That's just 100% true. Think back, stories about Trump being pissed on by Russian prostitutes and blackmailed by Putin were promoted as fact. And the only evidence was a document paid for by his opposition and is avowed by its source. The New York Post was banned for reporting on true information. The reaction of the Trump people, all this was not no fair. That's how they felt about Romney's binders of women in 2012. This was different. Now they see correctly that every institution is captured by people who will use any means to exclude them from the political process. Said it a million times on the show. The sadness with the Trump is in the Trump got treated poorly. It's that nobody other than the establishment will ever be president in our country. Ever. The system won't allow a normal citizen to be president. You know, the qualified. And yet they showed up in record number to vote. He got 13 million more votes in 2016, 10 more than hit Clinton got. As election night dragged on, they allowed themselves some hope. But then the four critical swing states and only those states went dark at midnight. They knew. Media and tech did everything to make things worse. Everything about the election was strange. The changes to procedures, unprecedented mail-in voting, the delays. But rather than admit that and make everything transparent, they banned discussion of it even in dms for some people everyone knows that a don jr laptop would have been the story of the century if everything about the election dispute was the same except the parties were reversed suspicions about the outcome would have been taken very seriously see 2016 for the proof even the court's refusal of the case gets nowhere with them because how the opposition embraced mass political violence they'll say with good reason what judge 
will stick his neck out for Trump, knowing he'll be destroyed in the media as a violent mob burns down his house. That is so fucking true. In fact, according to Time Magazine, the mass riots were planned in cities across the country if Trump won. Sure, they were protests, but they were planned by the same people as during the summer, and everyone knows what it would have meant. Judges have families, too. Forget the ballot conspiracies. In fact, that governors use COVID to unconstitutionally alter election procedures. The Constitution states that only legislatures can do that. To help Biden to make up for the massive enthusiasm gap by gaming the mail-in ballot system. They knew it was unconstitutional. It's right there in plain English. But they knew the cases wouldn't see court until after the election and the judge will toss the millions of ballots because the governor broke the rules. The threat of mass riots wasn't implied. It was direct. It was all over Twitter. We'll burn shit down. A, the entrenched bureaucracy, a security state subverted Trump from day one. B, the press is part of the operation. C, election rules were changed. D, big tech censors opposition. E, political violence is legitimized and encouraged for one side. F, Trump has banned social media. They were led down some rabbit holes, but they are absolutely right that their government is monopolized by a regime that believes they are beneath representation and will observe no limits to keep them getting it. Trump fans should be happy he lost. It might have kept him alive. That's why Tucker covered it for seven minutes, mediaite. That's why it is prescient today as it was in January. Because now this article that I touched last time sums it all up. Who's next? The Biden administration national strategy for counter-domestic terrorism is by its own admission the first of its kind. The author calls America's first government-wide national strategy to eradicate internal opponents of the regime that is not only to deter violent extremism, but even in the words of Biden's opening memo, to root out the hatreds that can too often drive violence. This unprecedented state intervention into every level of American life is justified, the admin claims, by the unrest that occurred at Capitol on January 6th. That event, while regrettable and ill-judged, has also been thoroughly mythologized into veritable Reichstag fire by the Democratic politicians, Republican enablers, and a chorus of journalists. A few buffoonish and overzealous protesters have narrativized into a cabal of organized insurrectionists who brought us, in the words of Democratic Representative AOC, to the brink of martial state. One must admire the sinister rhetorical economy of a party that can invent a threat to martial law while working steadily and quite in the open to impose one themselves. At the heart of this assault on America by the government is a lie. The lie that Trump supporters killed Capitol Police Officer Sisnick on January 6th. A Northeastern political science professor, Max Abrams, notes in his feature, even after the official medical examiner concluded in April that Sisnick died from natural causes, Biden, MSNBC, and CNN have continued to promote politically self-serving fiction that he was killed in a terrorist attack. Now in the administration's new document, this invented murder is presented as a disastrous climax of an unequally 
dishonest story about a supposed plague of right-wing terrorism in America. Domestic terrorism is not a new threat in the United States. It has, over centuries, taken many American lives and spilled much American blood, especially in communities deliberately and viciously targeted on the basis of hatred and bigotry. What this means in practice is spelling out by a list of gunmen and bombers, all of them inheritors of a line tracing back to the Ku Klux Klan. There is Santiago William Lagan, who killed three shoppers in Northern California, Patrick Cruzine, who's suspect in deadly El Paso shooting. There is Timothy McVeigh. Nowhere in the sordid tale do we find mention the scores of young men, almost all of them Muslim, who were arrested through the 2010s under suspicion of collaborating with ISIS. There is not one word about BLM and Antifa-led guerrilla campaign that claimed the lives of police officers like David Dorn and ravaged the p- property to one to three billion paid in insur- insurance claims because the media won't actually investigate that. Naturally, it's not noted that these homegrown terrorists are being not only absolved of criminal charges, but egged on by fantastically powerful oligarchs, among them Camilla Harris. None of this is germane as far as the strategy is concerned. The one great story, the only permissible story, is about white America ruthlessly executing minorities. Many of the cited cases fit uncomfortably within the narrative mold. As Kyle Seiner observes, the Biden administration feels obliged to pad its account of domestic threats with a Dallas Black Matters supporter or Bernie Sanders campaign volunteer and an SPLC enthusiast. But mere facts do not deter the report's author. They insist racially or ethnically motivated violent extremism, principally those who promote the superiority of white race, and militia violent extremists assured as presenting the most persistent and lethal threats, or to use the words of Chairman of Joint Chiefs Staffs, white rage. Buried deep in the strategy are a few dismissive gestures towards the possibility that other motivations beside conservatism or Trumpism might inspire radicals. And of course, As Air Force veteran and author John Robb noted, the strategy can potentially weaponize American government against all Americans, which is one reason why all Americans should be concerned. As a tool of tribal political warfare, we could see a very different set of targets and speech limitations of political powers change hands, like a patriarch on steroids, which the left used to be against. But in this administration and strategy itself, we know where the focus is and will remain squarely on those 80-some million Americans who will not stand to see their country overrun by sadistic monoparty. If you do not want to see the American way of life twisted into enforced racial hierarchy and the apparatus of the state aimed squarely against the natural family, the Biden administration has now announced that it has its eyes on you. They do not really mind, in the end, if you realize this, in its most frank passage, the strategy practically dares readers to notice its naked assertion of powers. Quoted from this strategy, today's domestic terrorists espouse a range of violent ideological motivations, including racial or ethnic bigotry and hatred, as well as anti-government or anti-authority sentiment. Dissent is terrorism and will be prosecuted as such. They know what they sound like. They know you can hear them. They just don't think you can do anything about it. It is thus not paranoid to suggest, as many are already doing in private, that this strategy carries with it not merely the threat, but the express intention of delegitimizing all kind of speech and political 
action on the part of half the country. Empowered by rapidly improving AI and digital technology, this kind of thinking stands to form the basis of a nightmarish and ruthlessly powerful social credit system. When those in power say they want to root out those sentiments they characterize as hatreds, they have every intentions of following through. Pillar two of the strategy is to prevent domestic terrorism recruitment and mobilization to violence. This means developing a mechanism by which veterans can report recruitment attempts by violent actors, pre-employment background checks and investigations for government employees, i.e. purging the government apparatus of dissenters, and it means tackling racism in America, ensuring that Americans receive the type of civics education that promotes tolerance and respect for all, acknowledging when racism and bigotry have meant that the country fell short of living up to its founding principles. Oh, yes. They know that parents at school boards across countries are standing up to get rid of the freaking CRT. They know, and they intend to put a stop to it. It is a hallmark to authoritarian regimes to define political action by the opposition as inherently violent and morally unconscionable. When one side can riot, loot, and murder without official sanction, while the other side cannot so much as organize without risking a summary imprisonment of indefinite duration, there are not really two sides anymore at all. These are developments which need attention and vigorous opposition now. There is there is running somewhat unwittingly through the strategy itself a thread of reasoning which they might may provide a major key to counteracting it. Again and again, the author stressed that the administration will do its best to force cooperation with its plan at every level of government. We will build a community to address domestic terrorism that extends not only the federal government but also the critical partners. This is repeated refrain. The federal government will recruit state, local, tribal, and territorial governments as well as foreign allies and partners, civic societies, the technology sector, academia, and more. This is because the U.S. government often is not best placed to identify or address issues that will first emerge at local level. They need individuals, families, and local communities to enlist in the war against Americans. Very well, then. Wherever and however we hold any sort of political power, we will not comply. State governors and legislatures with red majorities must refuse to acquiesce to federally imposed indoctrination or unconstitutional imprisonment. Constituents must demand this posture of any politician who claims to be Republican. No one should be allowed to bear the designation who is not expressly committed to fighting against the Biden administration fraudulent and Orwellian scheme to every available opportunity. And those individuals, families, and local communities upon whom this administration enforcers claim to rely, but whom in fact they are determined to break, must be given the tools to recognize what is being done and the language to denounce it for the abomination it is. We hope this feature will help with that endeavor. Not one media source... We'll cover that. Nobody's talking about it. <clears throat> if Donald Trump put it out, they would be. And while they're planning this with their social media allies, the complicit media that is basically only putting out what they want to be put out, our kids are being exposed to this. As we celebrate pride on the progress we've made over these past years, there's still work to be done. 
So to those of you out there who are still working against equal rights, we have a message for you. You think we're sinful? You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect. But you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. You can keep them from disco, warn about San Francisco. Make him wear pleated pants, we don't care. We'll convert your children. We'll make them tolerant and fair. At first I didn't get why you'd be so scared of us turning your children into accepting, caring people, but I see now why you'd have a problem with that. Just like you worried, they'll change their group of friends. You won't approve of where they go at night. When they start finding things online that you've kept far from their sight Like information Guess what? You'll still be alright We'll convert your children, yes we will Reaching one and all, there's really no escaping it Cause even grandma likes RuPaul And the world's getting kinder Gen Z's gayer than grinder. Learn to love, learn to vogue, face your fate. We'll convert your children. Someone's gotta teach them not to hate. Is that okay? Could a Christian choir do that? But the gay choir can. And I think you can see how if you're a different voter, that wears on you. Because that's happening simultaneously. The people that spent four years saying somebody's a fascist are now doing what they're doing at the government level, doing CRT, doing cultural, banning, punishing. And every time you turn on your TV, you hear this. It's actually going to agree with Frank, uh, my colleague from my FBI days, that, um, you know, if you think about what Tucker Carlson could have done here, is he could have followed the same route that the New York Times and other respected journalists did when they were, uh, incidentally overheard um, and may have, in fact, um, been not incidentally uh, had their call records uh, uh, obtained by the uh, Department of Justice. They could have gone to the Attorney General and Tucker Carlson could have joined them to say, you know, what I'm concerned about here is not that there was incidental collection when I am calling a foreigner, including, of course, if you try and reach out to 
Vladimir Putin, you can pretty much uh, be sure that you're uh, going to be uh, at high risk of being intercepted. He could have said, look, there's a First Amendment issue here, and I want to make sure that there are safeguards at the Department of Justice. But he didn't take that route. He did, as you said, and as Frank pointed out, he wanted to use this really for his own purposes and to sow distrust, which is, is so anti-American. My friend Matthew Dowd, our friend, you know, talked about this. He couldn't be more right. The 1-6 attack for the future of the country is a profoundly more dangerous event than the 9-11 attacks. And in the end, the 1-6 attacks are likely to kill a lot more Americans than were killed on the 9-11 attacks, which will include the casualties of the wars that lasted 20 years following it. The Democrats shouldn't be afraid, Brianna, to look into that truth because that truth is that Donald Trump and the Republicans, the big lie led to the why, to why people were there. I think Democrats really need to be unafraid here to pursue the truth. And we begin with brand new reporting about the Capitol insurrection and the Democrats' strategy to investigate it. Sources tell CNN the Democrats are making a conscious effort to avoid turning the probe into a spectacle something that they think Republicans might attempt to do. Democrats are also looking to keep some of the work they do behind closed doors. Former President Donald Trump is returning to the CPAC stage tomorrow. Hide the flags. Oh, so disturbing. And now the same man who gripped the stars and stripes won't let go of something else, the idea that he's still president. Just look at the press conference he held this week. The flags, the columns, that vaguely familiar seal on the podium. Of course, that's not the White House. That's Trump's golf club at Bedminster. But it looks like some kind of POTUS Potemkin village with Trump as the pretender in chief. Yes, he seems to be spending his post-presidency playing president. And as always, he is playing the victim, too, this time claiming disinformation is being directed at him. If you say it long enough, hard enough, often enough, people will start to believe it. Yeah. And with Trump, projection is always part of the performance. And over on Fox News, his trusty propagandists were eating it up. I was struck by the very pre presidential presentation at Bedminster. He had the throng of reporters. He had the entourage in the background. The only thing that was missing was the presidential seal on the podium. And it uh, looked like the White House. That yeah, backdrop. I, was, I, I, you know, I forgot who was president. All of a sudden, it was good to see him back in action. Yes, because it's all just an act. Or you might say his second act. Another case in point, last week, Trump hopped on a plane to the Texas border. He met with the governor and more than 20 House Republicans and then stood in front of a border wall he no longer controls and gave instructions about the paint job. It was just like old times as Trump revived his wishes to paint the wall black so the hot border sun will scald anyone. We have to get that painted now. They have to paint it because if they don't paint it, bad things are happening. I'm looking and it has to be painted. And the best color to paint it is black. Because if you paint it black, it's so hot, nobody can even try to climb it. All that was missing that day was Trump promising Mexico would pay for it. 
Also on hand, the architect of Trump's immigration plan, Stephen Miller, and Trump's former acting secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. What's next? Another Stop the Steal rally on the National Mall? He may find some of the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers are busy in jail. And now this weekend, Trump heads to CPAC, the same event that earlier this year put on display an enormous golden statue of Trump with American flag shorts and a magic wand. But there's no wand to change the election results, even though the CPAC crowd may need some reminding. Now, you can say that he lost the election, but his supporters, 73 million... Well, he did lose the election. You can say that he lost the election, and I... He he did lose the election. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not quibbling that. Of course he lost the election. Makes my brain hurt. And they'll need more reminders because Trump keeps making the rounds to Florida and North Carolina and Ohio, where some of his followers have convinced themselves that he'll be reinstated. Ron, you genuinely believe that he's going to... He's coming back. That he could come back as soon as... Before, before the middle of August. And what if that doesn't happen? Huh? What if that doesn't happen? We're going to be in a civil war because the militia will be taken over. Even the conspiracy-loving Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene sounded a note of caution about that wacky theory that Trump will return to the White House in August. I want people to be careful in what they believe. It's going to be very difficult to overturn the 2020 election. And so I hate for anyone to get their hopes up thinking that President Trump is going to be back in the White House in August, because that's not true. And I'm telling you, as a member of Congress, that's a very difficult thing to make happen. It's not just very difficult, it's impossible. There is no constitutional mechanism that would allow for it. This is the land of the free, not the land of the make-believe. But Trump loves to play pretend. Remember this old act at his rallies? It's a lot easier to act presidential than to do what I do. Anybody can act presidential. Ladies and gentlemen of the state of Florida, thank you very much for being here. You are tremendous people. And I will leave now because I am boring you to death. Thank you. Trump actually had it backwards. It's a lot harder to act presidential and exit the stage with dignity and grace and perhaps some humility. And on that note, there's something I'd like to address. A couple of weeks ago, I compared Trump's comeback tour to the circus, full of sideshow acts and clowns. I later got an email from an expert on the circus industry. This person pointed out that comparison actually was not fair, because unlike the chaos of Trump world, a circus is carefully composed and organized. That's a great point. Comparing Trump to a clown is most definitely an insult to clowns. He's more like one of those mask-hating customers at the grocery store. You've seen them. A Karen, or whatever the name would be in Trump's case. You can almost hear him saying, I want to talk to the manager about the election. I want to talk to the manager of Twitter or Facebook. And the American people are kind of like the store manager. We have to explain, well, sir, you lied about the election. You incited an insurrection. You're going to have to leave the store or we're calling security. Do you think that there are racists at Chapel Hill right now who think that this is a victory, even though it's disappointed students and faculty alike? 
Well, I mean, they may think it's a victory until elite high school seniors start rethinking whether they'd rather be at UNC or at Howard. Because if I'm now coming up and I have an interest in journalism or I have an interest in history, if I have an interest in learning about this country and then learning to speak about it and becoming a public intellectual, I'm now putting Howard much higher on my list than UNC. They've yes. lost a hot faculty. They're going to start losing recruits. And when they start losing recruits, which means that all of their other programs get weaker, when faculty besides Nicole Hannah-Jones start saying, you know what, maybe I don't want to teach at a school where they allow a right-wing member of the board to determine who can get tenure and to undercut and try to humiliate her and make this brilliant woman who's got a Pulitzer Prize and a MacArthur Genius Award in her pocket, make her humiliated by saying you can only right. teach her without tenure with no academic freedom and no safety in terms of your job security, you might start to see a lot of other people start to walk away. And I that's what happens. I feel badly for the students at UNC. There are a lot of great students that are going Though I may find Trump's little rally stuff and CPAC a little weird and off-putting, I have been in this country my entire life. I'm a born American, and every Democrat has run their fucking cock trap after every election when a Republican is president. I know more about what Obama thinks than I know what fucking Biden thinks. And I, I played the full Acosta because that's the only thing he can play to get people to watch. Because he can't play this. It's a real moment. This is a journalist in Oakland. About 200 mostly black family rallying of police to call for an end to the epidemic of gun violence. Mothers on the stage mourning recent children. In the, bla- in, in the back, less than a dozen mostly white Antifa protesters jeer them. Dramatic confrontation. No, oh, I didn't get that one. Before I got there, a lot of anti-violence activists from East Oakland said they were disappointed in the white anti-police Antifa protesters. That'd be national news. There's no debate. Critical race theory. It's just like they do with fucking climate change. You you can't debate. Look at look at this. What this this is of course Kendi X. Um, who can't even define racism, <clears throat> can't define it. Here's a little blurb in here, and, and this all ties together, is my premise. All ties together. There are different points of view about race and racism, but what we are seeing and hearing on news shows and school districts meeting in op-ed pages, legislative balls, and in social media feeds are multiple sides with different point of views. There's only one side in our so-called culture war right now. They're playing it like it's Political for the right to do it. But yet we're looking all over the world. They're taking down Lewis and Clark and Satchawea still because they're being forced to do so. Because, you know, that that's that's what we do. That That's normal. Uh, somehow this picture didn't come out right, and that bothers me. Justice Department to spend $6.1 million on January 6th database for riot prosecutions. The massive database of gathered evidence were created by the technology contractor Deloitte Financial Advisory Service. So once again, this is another, we're going to file it out to the, and go around the Constitution, like he's doing with all these other agencies spying on Americans. What database do you need? You've arrested 500 people. Most without representation. You released all the rioters. 
BLM people are home. New leftist disinformation report demands even more liberal bias. Rasmussen poll. Shocking. 58% agree the media are the enemy of the people. Do you trust the political news you're getting? They found 37% say they trust the news compared to 43% who said they don't. How serious a problem is fake news? 83% said it was a serious problem and only 14% disagreed. 92% of Republicans agreed and 82% of independents. 74 of Democrats because they're getting what they want. And then you see what they do. Inflation, silver lying, higher, higher salaries. How is that even a topic? How is that a topic? This is not how it works, but they're so bought into it. So many articles on the CNC Econ headline. The upside to inflation is rising wages. Really? Wow. New York Times, ultra-conservative Texas moving further to the right. We're not talking about how far left we are. Then Rasmussen, who doesn't want to get... I Oh, I hate you. I lost it. Republicans less likely to trust their main news source if they see it as mainstream. Democrats are more likely. Well, that makes total sense. So the Wall Street Journal whips up. The laptop's real. They're still not investigating this. And then the left comes back, ignoring the obvious. Leftist SPLC whines Twitter amplifies extreme far-right voices. I'm not going to read it. Not going to read it. That is the biggest lie ever. Axios. There is no big tech bias. You you just have to sign in. Or you just got to pay attention. Via Twitter spokesman Trenton Kennedy, Nick Fuentes, was permanently suspended for repeated violation of Twitter rules. And somehow this is jacked up, so I'm just going to read it off this. Was suspended for Twitter after the ADL published a report on him, another leftist group. This happens pretty regularly. The ADL or SPLC will hit somebody and their target will get banned from social media shortly after. J.D. Vance, Nick Fuenza has been a giant troll and, in my opinion, dishonest. And his attacks against me don't care. Temp companies control what we're allowed to say in our own country. It has to stop. Listen, I wouldn't be calling this for Keith Oberman. I don't care if somebody is a Nazi, a black supremacist, whether underground. Freedom of speech. But now we have a new re- rule for freedom of speech. It's speech we like. The left, just the left, just what they want. You get back into the Tucker. They're still saying, well, they don't give a fuck. He's a conservative. 
He was talking to a U.S.-based Kremlin intermediary about getting an interview. Putin shortly before he was accused of the NSA spying on him. U.S. government officials learned of this outreach, but that's where the details get cloudy. An NSA spokesman declined to comment and referred Axios back to the agency earlier, a carefully worded statement. In other words, the NSA is denying the target of Carlson, but is not denying this communication has been accidentally. So you hear, oh, it's just a nothing burger. Just a nothing burger. But Jeff B. sums up my feelings on this really well. Let me get down to him. Let's be clear here. There's nothing wrong with the NSA or whatever Alphabet Soup Agency was involved intercepting its correspondence. Even though it was innocuous, it's the job of our intel service to flag this sort of stuff. But leaking it to journos, that's vile. I know a lot of people following me, especially on the Trumpish right, will vehemently object to the first part of what I said above. But I'm sorry. The IC has an important function and comms of foreign government asked agents falls in the net with good reason. It's the other part that's disturbing. I can't know for sure, but I know enough to know that the way the IC works here is like throwing out a tight mesh fishing net that intercepts as much as possible. They target externally for the very much most part. Their tracing is to foreign government agencies, not on Carlson. So if Carlson emailed one of them hoping to arrange a Putin interview, which is no crime, it's actually newsy, no shocker, they bag it up. The issue then becomes this. Did the people who were reading this correspondence, which they legally have the right to do, and I strongly support, leak contents to journos? If so, it's a crime, repulsive, and vile. If not, no big deal. I totally agree. But my point is along this line. This is how we do things now in our country. 2001, we'll only spy on foreign enemies. 2013, NSA spied on Americans, but meh. 2014, CIA spied on U.S. Senate, but it's, it's sorry. FBI spied on POTUS, but he's Hitler. NSA spied on U.S. journalists, but it's just Tucker. 2025, there was no warning signs about our new spy overloads. It's the application, the leaking. And then this slideshow... Sums it up, 100%. I'm make it a little smaller. Do you think these guys were spied on? How about that guy? And that guy. And that gal. How about this? How about that? How about that? Anybody? You get fascism, and people perceive it that way, when the media is part of one party. And it is. It is undeniably, factually, you can't argue it away, an apparatus of the Democratic Party. They all vote, live, love, hang out with, fuck, related to. It's the net. And that's why this doesn't even come out. New evidence indicates to enough illegal votes in Georgia to tip 2020 results. That's the Federalist. That's not any crazy site. There is so much bullshit going on that CNN's in one of them. 
Man hyped by CNN for long voting line, wait, arrested for illegal voting. A Texas man said he waited for a bit, little bit over six hours at polling center participating in Super Tuesday, holding that all along the lines and deter, deterred other voters, but he, let, he felt it was his duty to cast. I figured it would be like my duty to vote. I want to get my vote in to voice my opinion, and I wasn't going to let nothing stop me. So I waited it out, Harry said. Asked about how long he had waited to vote. About six hours, a little bit over six hours. And then we find out that he did it twice. He voted in multiple districts. He's a Democrat. There's so many stories like this, so many double votes, so much bullshit, but it only matters if it's North Carolina and a Republican wins. That's the only time we care about this. Inter- you know, any interference in election only matters when it's a Republican. Anybody else? We don't fucking care. To go back to that tweet screen that tied this all in. Hillary was in Ukraine. It's part of the Mueller. They were trying to get dirt on Trump. Nobody cares. Matt Talibi. Imagine the furor of Donald Trump Jr. held an auction when he sold paintings between $75,000 and $50,000 apiece, and the buyers were allowed to remain anonymous. That is happening right now in our country. Google scrubs Mike Saranovich's report on SPLC link to mass shooter from search results because they made that up. That's important because that's the basis of what social media is doing. Facebook, Twitter, SPLC, ADL. Those are those search groups. They will ban people and claim that they are, and then the media will go with it, whether it's true or not. Then we find no relief for Lego Man or other January 6th detainees. Federal agents seized a plastic replica of the Capitol building from a Pennsylvania home of Robert Morris during his arrest on June 11th. Justice Department officials are citing the Lego model as evidence in a criminal case. He had a building. Now we find out a week later that's bullshit. It just was a statue that millions of people own. It wasn't a layout. It wasn't used to fucking take, do a, a terrain model with. House Select Committee to criminalize and obstruct. Pelosi's committee has absolutely nothing to do with an investigation. In fact, concerning what happened on January 6th, it is transparent political play to sensationalize and criminalize all things and persons related to Trump. Pressure from the March 2021 Judicial Watch lawsuit helped lead into the disclosure. The Capitol Police officer Sisnick died of national causes. This goes on and breaks it all down. We already know it. This is what they're doing. This is just a game. Family members and peers are often best positioned to witness signs of mobilization to violence. Help prevent homegrown violent extremism. Visit GoUSA.gov. The FBI is asking people to do that. Literally every single point on this is met by the domestic terror enterprise Antifa. Everyone. But they're never doing it and people are saying, are you the KGB? And lastly, fear on top of fear. Why anti-gun Americans join the wave of new gun owners. 
What the fuck? What the fuck? We're going to do a little bump out. McCarthy. I'm not going to play the slap Cuomo because it's just a clusterfuck. I don't even know what goes on there. Siltzer decrying private space travel. And Christie, the only one to speak up about the Texas voting laws. And then we'll go into our second part, COVID. Tell me once again, if Donald Trump called for this, would it be fascism? But look, the, 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 rhetoric, the rhetoric here outstrips what's actually being done. Let's look at the Texas bill. The existential threat to voting is by saying we can't have 24-hour voting or drive-through voting. That's an existential threat. Hey, um, Congressman, good to see you. Do you have any doubt that Pelosi is going to veto pretty much anyone at this point you put up who is a strong conservative? Uh, pretty much, yes. Um, one thing about that. That clip you just showed, this is the least bipartisan committee you can find. Think about the structure. It's not an equal number of Republicans or Democrats. She appointed Adam Schiff and Raskin. This is a impeachment committee. Um, only Democrats have subpoena power. The speaker has control over anyone who is appointed. She appoints everyone just with consultation with Republicans. The real question here is those who really wanted to find out the, the truth didn't waste five months playing politics with it. The Senate had two bipartisan committees already study and put a, put a report out. You had the FBI arresting people. You had the architect of the Capitol already appropriated $10 million to secure the Capitol in any way they can. But the real question begins to lie. Why did the parking attendants know more about January 6th than the preparing for the Capitol Police and protecting them. Because the parking attendants yeah. wouldn't let you park up on the Capitol that day. But where was the National Guard? The National Guard couldn't be at the Capitol, but they were doing uh, crosswalk duty and street work somewhere in the city. Did things happen during the summer? Did someone make a decision and tell the sergeant of arms not to have the National Guard at the Capitol mm. prior to that? And if you look at the, if you look at the um, Senate report, there's a lot of failures here. They had information ahead of time. Uh, the Capitol Police... Uh, you had the leadership in there failing those officers because the riot gear, some of it was stuck in buses that were locked away from it. You should have had the National Guard there so people could have never entered well, that building. They, uh, this is all Let's talk about the billionaire space race in some more detail. Because as Chris had mentioned, longtime Amazon boss Jeff Bezos is set to make his own flight in just nine days. Branson kind of moved his up early to get ahead of Bezos. As an editor at Politico put it recently, have to wonder if in the future billionaires taking vanity tours of space while the climate overheats will be one of those moments that historians write about. It's none of the government's business knowing who has or hasn't been vaccinated. What do you say? Brianna, uh, perhaps uh, we should point out that the federal government has had to spend trillions of dollars to try to keep Americans alive during this pandemic. So it is absolutely the gover government's business. It is taxpayers' business. On the on the door to door, um, you know, as we've said from the beginning, all of the studies, all of our experiences, the best people to talk about vaccinations with those who have questions our local trusted messengers, doctors, faith leaders, community leaders. So as part of our efforts, trusted messengers may go door to door. Uh, these very doctors, faith leaders and community leaders that people look to for this type of advice. And as we talked about earlier, we've seen movement 
um, by going person by person, community by community, in states where neighbors have contacted neighbors. Uh, this is important work that's leading to more vaccinations. And it's done by people who care about the health of their family, friends, and neighbors. Um, so I, I would say for, for those individuals or organizations that are feeding misinformation and trying to mischaracterize this type of trusted messenger work, I believe you are doing a disservice to the country and to the doctors, the faith leaders, community leaders, and others who are working to get people vaccinated, save lives, and help end this pandemic. Well, it appears the commie Nazi bastards have gone into the neighborhoods and now knocking on doors, asking if people got their vaccine. You can see a couple idiots here walking up, and I don't understand what the hell's really going on with this country. But all I can say is that if you end up knocking on a lot of people's doors, you're going to end up knocking on heaven's door. Or you might get someone like Cheech that just tells you, you keep knocking, but you can't come in. These motherfuckers invading our neighborhoods. And in California, where you're stripped of gun rights, the best thing you can do is film these assholes and exploit these assholes for what they are, commies. The president's comments about going door to door mm -hmm. to encourage vaccinations. The South Carolina governor said today that enticing, coercing, intimidating, mandating, or pressuring anyone to take a vaccine is a bad policy that will deteriorate the public trust and confidence in the state's efforts. And Governor McMaster said he's going to prohibit the state health agency from using the administration's targeted tactics. Can you respond to the governor and explain what it is that is being what is not? Vaccines available across the country, the suffering and loss we are now seeing is nearly entirely avoidable. What you are going to see among under-vaccinated regions, be they states, cities, or counties, you're going to see these individual types of blips. It's almost like it's going to be two Americas. All right, joining us now, CNN senior data reporter, Harriet. And Harry, so nice to see you. Hello, John. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci says that 99.2% of all coronavirus deaths are coming from unvaccinated people. That's a stark number. It's a very stark number. And you know, what's so amazing when you look at the map right now of who is fully vaccinated, you just see these great contrasts across the country, right? What do we see? We see in the Southern United States that, you know, states like Mississippi, right? Only about 30% of folks are vaccinated at this particular point. You know, and you can see here, when you look across the country in terms of adults, you see that just 58% of um, all adults are fully vaccinated. There are all these people out there who have just decided for whatever reason that they don't want to get the vaccine.
and a greater percentage of deaths in cases at this point are coming by and large from the parts of the country that are unvaccinated? That's exactly that's exactly right. You know, when we look across the country, what do we see? We see that in the Trump states, for example, the states that Donald Trump won, only about 40 percent of all Americans are fully vaccinated. What we also see across those states is that when you take an average across all of them, I believe that the increase in the case rate over the last seven days is something like 20 percent versus in the Biden states where you have 53 percent of Americans fully vaccinated. You have not just anti-vaxxers, you have a governor who is has a huge part in this disaster that is currently in the making in Missouri. Keeping that initial thread in line. What the fuck? They're already doing it. They know they don't give a fuck. She's going to ham haw. And they made it political. They made it all political. This whole thing was politics. It was politics from day one. That's the problem. It's not about the vaccine anymore. You think it's okay to go door to door and pressure people, but you won't go to the right place. And yes, that video is from California. Steve Inman. They're already doing it. Door to door in people's faces. And here's your verbiage. All right, I'm not, not going to spend a lot of time on this. I want to see if I can zoom in on this fucking piece of shit. Eh, it's not going to let me. Hold on a second. Let me do it this way. Well, the first one I'm not going to read. I'll read this one because I can read this. Ignore. <sighs> inform, don't convince. Ignore soliciting sides, knock them back up, use your script, leave a flyer. Not the government's business. Not the governor's business. But CNN, who's part of the government, because they're part of the Biden administration, Representative Tuesday compared officials carrying out President Biden's latest COVID vaccine push to Nazi area brown shirts just weeks after apologizing for a comment comparing Capitol Hill wearing rules to Holocaust. She learned it from you. Media to conservatives. Hey, Nazi terrorists, isn't it time to start dialing down the rhetoric? Rhetoric? And I think I have this. Do I have this? Tell me I downloaded this. Yeah, I will now. This president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. As the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. And we have to start doing something about them. Trump has delivered on the things that they care about most. He has delivered racism for these people. He has delivered misogyny for these people. The same type of rhetoric, the same type of propaganda that you would have seen in Germany in 1938, the dehumanization, turning people into infested vermin. Look, the young people in this country are not with this sort of evil, nasty authoritarianism. You Republicans see. have to call this out because their souls are on the line. Yeah. So he has a giant cult. He also heads a party that knows very well that he's a giant cult. Of his erratic behavior, his ignorance could 
pose a profound danger to every single person in this country and literally every inhabitant of the planet Earth. The president's obviously a racist. He's obviously a demagogue. He obviously condones anti-Semitism, stokes up nationalist hatred, all the stuff we've said. That's propaganda. That's what happened in Nazi Germany. This radical group of right-wingers who've perverted our democracy and really are doing what they can to ruin our country. This whole caravan in the last week of the election is a giant lie. This is Trump's Reichstag fire. Yeah. Look, evil lurks in the hearts of men, <laughs> and it does, and what Trump has tapped into is evil. We're going to see if this reign lasts for 30 days, or two years, or a thousand-year Reich. What Trump does with the power that people give him is turns it to evil. Here we are after the carnage, and this man... This moral monster is playing to those base instincts. It's not even a question of whether it's presidential behavior or not. It's not minimally human behavior. There's no way that he's going to prevail because he's evil. He's dark. It's the opposite of what America stands for. This has now become a struggle about good versus evil. I give two fucks about MTG. She's a fucking moron. But you guys said it. And CNN going over and over and over about the politics. You've made this political. COVID propaganda roundup. Goon Squad now blaming racism Russians for vaccine hesitancy. When this. Do I have this? Let me blow it up and make sure I'm lined up. Oh, you're killing me. Yeah, there we go. Dishonest Max Boost using polling data as evidence of vax rates to suit his political prejudice. CDC data show that the most vaccine-hesitant are black Hispanic, a.k.a. Democrat voters. Six months ago, Kamala and the law gov told that LoveGov told them, don't trust the Trump vax. That's a true statement. Data, 157 million nine hundred eight one hundred said people fully vaccinated race ethnicity was available for blah 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 and you see it is minorities and i wonder why so we got kamala we have tuskegee and we have the nation of islam now i want you to this is double fold this is a lot on twitter you talked about hydrochloroquine. If you talked about it came from Wuhan lab, it was actually leaked. You got banned from Twitter, YouTube, Google, Facebook. Not the nation of Islam. Warning, do not take the experimental COVID vaccine. The Honorable Minister Farrakhan has warned the black community against taking COVID-19 vaccine and the U.S. government's treacherous history of experimentation, medication, and vaccines. Somebody asked Pisaki. They are anti-vaxxers. Nope. Mm-mm. Not asking those questions. Letting it ride. Could you see how people could be going? I mean, this is fucked up, dude. And then you get into the basics. CDC says one thing. Schools are saying go fuck yourself. Teachers union still ain't going with what the CDC is saying. They've been doing it forever. It's what we do. It's what we do as a nation. And then all this is all compiling 
with the anti-cop bullshit. Republican Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas serves on the Senate Armed Services uh, Judiciary and Intelligence Committees. And Senator, I just want you to listen to one other bit of sound from the Congresswoman, because she is trying to say that there are a lot of people there in Washington as members of Congress that agree with her. Watch. The new members of Congress are coming with full force and pushing back against this idea around, you know, they rename uh, this kind of militarization or targeting in a very inhumane way of our immigrant neighbors. It is the same thing, which is targeting communities of color uh, in a way that is, uh, to me, very much violates, uh, you know, human rights. Let's get your take on this, Senator. Well, Dana, unfortunately, I think she's right. A lot of Democrats do support those radical views. They Brittany, I want to bring up this, this, this in the background because this is really key. I don't think people understand how often this same kind of violence often visits the same families. We, we have a story that just came out talking about the fact that, you know, a young man who knew Eric Garner later on got pepper sprayed by the cops, that George Floyd's, uh, you know, girlfriend used to teach Dante Wright. The police seem to prey on the same black people over and over and over again. I've always made it abundantly clear. I believe in abolishing police, getting rid of it entirely, starting from the beginning. We've done that before. We've done it with the Department of War. But in this moment, that's a conversation we can have tomorrow. In this moment, what should the country be learning from the fact that the young woman who already witnessed violence that she had no part of just lost her uncle to the wanton violence and irresponsibility of the police? What's the lesson that the nation needs to be learning right now? The lesson the nation needs to learn in this moment is that the system is working precisely as it was designed. That to revisit the same black families, black people, and black communities is not happenstance, it's not an act, is intentional. This is a choice. There are multiple systems that continue to perpetuate inequities in our communities. Let's talk about what's going on in Washington. Civil rights leaders gathering with President Biden while all this is going on in Austin. Uh, we know they want more action on federal voting rights. All of this is happening after the Supreme Court upheld Arizona voting restrictions. And the president of the Urban League, Mark Morial, talked about that after the meeting at the White House. Let me play it. When we look at what is happening in this nation, we see an effort to impose a system of American apartheid. You use the nullification of the Supreme Court, which just recently undercut the Voting Rights Act, to try to thwart the power of this grand and glorious multicultural nation to anybody who listened to that press conference after the meeting with the president it was sobering i thought latasha to say the least is mark morio right is this an effort to impose a system of american apartheid i throw the voting rights stuff in there because it's all prescient this is how they keep their crowds angry and on this show i continually say they rewrite history this is rewriting history he was a vet but he was a BLM vet. That's why those cops are shot. But we're not going to do that. NBC News, part of the administration. White House, actually, it's Republicans are trying to fund the police. NBC News. Republicans are seizing. On what? Washington Post. Hypes assaults on reporters 
says it's Trump, but it's actually Antifa that does it. Shot Chaser with Lori Lightfoot. I mean, look at this fucking shit. Look at this. Under no circumstances will I allow Donald Trump's troops to come to Chicago. Chicago mayor asked Biden for help after bloody July 4th weekend. Hmm. While Chicago announces it will provide free condoms to all public school children ages 10 and up. Over 100 people were shot in Chicago last weekend. You're handing out the wrong kind of protection. Do you think a red city could get away with it? Does anybody believe that? Anybody? You, you, in a million fucking years, you couldn't get away with this shit. It'd be like, no, you're kidding me. And you heard the car accident in the intro. I mean, they, they, you know, that this is our media. There is nothing, anything you can do to change the bias. I, I just, my. My God, I could play Stacey Abrams with all the race basers. Uh, I could play another longer clip of Rashida Tlaib. Not only calling for that, but calling for everything. No ice. No border patrol. While all along, it's still 1-6. Steve Schmidt agreed with fellow disgruntled ex-Republican Matthew Dow Wednesday that the January 6th Capitol riots was worse than 9-11 terror attacks that killed thousands. And it will kill more, they're saying. They're saying somehow, some way, a bunch of grandparents that you always, always, or already, sorry, have incarcerated without defense are somehow a danger. More Majory Green. Oh, bad people. They spent their whole time saying Hitler. Salon was known for it. Then we're bringing this out again. Trump just wasn't a normal figure. Psychiatrist says rhetoric called real trauma to people. People are traumatic. Interlaid with intersectionality. Do I have that one? Right here. Look at this fucking thing. This is the same person. Go back to the thread. If you watch all this on totality, now I almost understand why people stormed the buildings. It's a very unconservative, unpatriotic thing. But if you live this and you loved Trump, just like people loved Biden, people loved Obama, people loved Hillary, this is every day in our media This is every day. We don't teach it, but we're going to teach it. All of this intertwined. The defund. Okay, July 7th. She got up there and said it for the first time. Or June 22nd. I'm sorry. It took to July 7th for a fact check. And to make matters worse, three Pinocchios, not four. Because we're not fact-checking. They're so, so honest. They brought facts and science back. And this is the scariest thing.
For a person like me, I read these. They scare the shit out of me. This is all over Canada. Churches are being destroyed because they're on land. It doesn't matter that it's hasn't been their land forever. All you get from them, four Catholic churches, at least four Catholic churches destroyed indigenous land this week, and it's okie dokie. We don't have a problem with it. That's CNN. Other stories. Uh, churches are being burned to the ground in Canada. Here's why. Like, oh, it's okay. Then you got Republicans coming out to work for freaking Democrats. Door-to-door va- vaccines. Oh, no, all these tough guy politicians pretending this is a real threat. All door-to-door campaigning. It's so nice to live so comfortably that it would be consumes you and not real problems. Get vaccinated. You're being retweeted with support by members of Congress that was a little bit bitch of a Chinese spy. What the fuck does that say about you? Eric Solwell says everything. 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 While he's lying about Afghanistan, it just ties in, which brings me back to the art. I'm going to play some sound bites on this. You knew I was. I talked about it briefly. Tell me Trump could do this.
Schaub is the former head of the Office of Government Ethics under President Obama. Uh, Walter, thanks for being with us. So some of those safeguards uh, put in place are neither Hunter Biden nor the public will know who bid on or purchased the work. And if there's unusual behavior like the offer being too high, the collector doesn't appear to be interested, the gallery is expected to turn down the offer. You don't think that's enough. Why? No, I mean, they have outsourced government ethics to an art dealer. She mentioned industry standards. It's an industry that's notorious for money laundering. There's no standards in that industry. And the idea that they're going to flag any overly priced offers, well, this is art that hasn't even been juried into a community art sale. How is How are they going to decide what's unreasonable when they've already priced it in the range of 75000 to 500,000 for a first outing. This is just preposterous and very disappointing. That shit is batshit crazy. But you see the replies when you're in administration. I, I think for you never Trumpers and um, lefties that may watch the show, I really want you to think about this is Trump able to have Newsmax cover him 24-7. They're not going to push back. They don't care. They can do whatever the fuck they want, and you're not going to do anything about it, and it's not going to be amplified. That's the key thing. It's amplification. When a Republican does something wrong, it is so amplified that this little thing becomes this. But with the left, this is the thing. We're going to suppress all views. The media does this and drops it. And it's gone. It's out of the window. Nobody knows about it. Why do we care? Why? It's frustrating. Especially... When the only other source that is reporting any discrepancies with what this administration has, the other two networks doing this all the time. So we end with Seltzer and Acosta, two losing piece of shit, sycophantic fascists, talking about Fox. And we go into woke. Major divide here in the U.S. and it's over the coronavirus vaccine. Right now, not even 50% of the country is fully vaccinated as the highly contagious Aggressive Delta variant spreads in parts of the U.S. with low vaccination rates. It's left many health experts wondering why more Americans aren't protecting themselves. Even Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is scratching his head. I'm perplexed by the reluctance of some to get vaccinated. Totally perplexed by it. Totally perplexing. Uh, joining us now is CNN chief media correspondent and anchor of Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter. Brian, to understand this vaccine hesitancy, you might not have to look much further than the messaging some Americans are receiving. Call it messaging because it's not information, it's not news, it's messaging. No, the anti-vaccination propaganda has become much stronger than it was, let's say, six or nine months ago, Jim. What I hear on right-wing talk radio and television is much more uh, assertive and ridiculous. Uh, it's not just hesitancy. It's outright rejection of the vaccines. Turn it up. Turn it on.
Let's get a walk. Simon Campbell, 1571 Brookfield Road, Lower Makefield Township. I'm a Pensbury School District resident, Pensbury School District taxpayer. I'm also a former member of the Governing Board of Directors, 2009 to 2013. It's nice to see the old faces. I'm here to speak today. I believe, Gary, you said it was item KKK in the agenda book. Well, isn't that just a perfect, perfect summation of what it is I'm here to talk about. KKK, your proposed new school board policy, seeking once again to limit the constitutionally protected speech of American citizens. Now, when I sat on this school board, I believe some of you old timers might remember this, a union guy spoke at public comment for five minutes and ripped me a new one. He called me the bastard child of Margaret Thatcher. And I sat there and I said to myself, okay, fair enough. Welcome to America. He considers me a bastard because I'm in the government. His logic is sound. Now, what happened was the superintendent and the school solicitor at the time freaked out and they didn't put the tape online the next day. And I called them up and I said, get the tape online now before we get sued for censorship. I yelled at the solicitor to, and I asked him what law school he went to because it was clearly constitutionally protected rhetorical hyperbole. I can cite the case if you'd like. And I said to Paul Long, the superintendent at the time, don't ever cut the tape again, Paul. And by the way, bastard child of Margaret Thatcher, I took it as a compliment. Now, you snowflakes apparently have a bigger problem with public comment. It seems to me that you think you can supersede the United States Constitution. Well, I've got news for you, school board president Benito Mussolini. Your power does not supersede that of the U.S. Constitution and the First Amendment rights of the citizens of this great nation. Let's now to politics and the battle over voting rights. The possibility of an Democrats is hanging over a special legislative session in Texas as Republicans try again to pass new voting restrictions. Hundreds of people waited for hours at the state capitol to testify against the plans, which would ban 24-hour polling places, ban drop boxes, and end drive-through voting. A Democrat staged a legislative walkout in May to temporarily block action on new restrictions. Since then, Republicans have dropped demands to ban Sunday morning voting when many black churchgoers go to the polls and a provision to make it easier to overturn elections. At the same time, Texas authorities are accusing a Houston man who stood in line to vote for six hours last year of voting illegally. Irvis Rogers' determination to vote went viral on social media and now prosecutors say he was on parole for a burglary conviction when he cast his vote in the Democratic presidential primary. A conviction could lead to anything from two to 20 years in prison. Rogers got out on bail yesterday. He is being represented by the ACLU of Texas. You know, I'm one of those who believes that what Republicans are doing here, they're doing the debt work for the Democrats, meaning they're helping to do get out the vote. But the real problem that Democrats haven't really figured out how to fight is the changing of the administrative laws, the, the, the changing of who decides which votes count. And this is where I think there's been a failure of congressional Democratic leadership, Willie. 
Where is the Voting Rights Act? They've had majority in the House since 18. Why is this piece of legislation not already written, not already passed? Where is it? They spent so much time on this press release uh, uh, of H.R. 1. Where are they on, on, on the Voting Rights Act? That is what could give them the teeth to fight these laws, hmm. and they're way behind on this. This is the thing that bothers or should bother about critical race theory. It's a boogeyman. It's not even taught in most K through 12 schools. Uh, delegates of the National Education Association, they approved a measure last week calling for support of, quote, the implementation of culturally responsive education, critical race theory, and ethics studies curriculum in pre-K through 12 and higher education. Um, the president is obviously a big fan of education. Uh, First Lady is a teacher. She's a, a union teacher. I'm wondering, what are the president's thoughts on anti-racism curriculum in the classroom? Well, the president believes that in our history, uh, there are many dark moments. And there is not just slavery and racism in our history. There is systemic racism that is still impacting society today. And he believes, as I believe, as a parent of children, that kids should learn about our history. Uh, so as a, the, the spouse of an educator and as somebody who is, continues to believe that children should learn uh, not just the good, but also the challenging in our history. And that's part of what we're talking about here, even as it's become politically charged. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Go ahead. In January of last year, uh, Joe Biden, when he was running for president, uh, spoke to the New York Times, and he said Section 230 should be revoked, revoked immediately. Does he stand by the comments that he made to the New York Times last year? I have not spoken with him about Section 230. I remember those comments, and I remember the um, the New York Times article. I'm happy to venture to do exactly that. Uh, I will say that uh, as it relates to these lawsuits, it's a, certainly a decision for the platforms to make. Uh, I think it's safe to say that the president spends a lot less time obsessing over social media than the former president. With that, thank you, everyone. Because some of the topics that we're uh, we're going to talk about, we are going to be talking about some inequalities, social inequalities. And the one thing that you do need to know is it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough talking about some of this stuff. But you need to be able to recognize within yourself and within others the difficulties of speaking about certain things. I'm about to teach a unit on social justice. The lesson that um, I taught is the first class of a unit. And this is where we establish ground rules. So let's jump in. I'm sharing my screen right here. Discussion rules. I don't know how many of you know this book, Jason Reynolds, Long Way Down. Y'all know this one? All right. This is a phenomenal book. In this, he starts out the entire book by saying three rules, the three rules of the neighborhood. You have three rules. One, no crying, no matter what. Two, no snitching. And three, revenge. So when we talk about the three ground rules, these are the three ground rules of the neighborhood. Are these the three ground rules that you deal with in real life? For the most part, yes. All right. No snitching. What's said in this class. Why do you think that you were so threatening to some people? 
I mean, I think that's what's been so distressing about this entire debacle is not only the tenure denial, but the lack of transparency uh, from the administration at the university, the unwillingness to just be truthful about what happened and to let um, me as well as the public know what happened. I don't know why people find me so threatening. I I'm a journalist. I just uh, produce journalism. I want to bring in the dean of UNC School of Journalism and Media who advocated for your tenure there, who wanted you there in tenure. It's Susan King. Dean, thanks so much for being with us. You know, how much does this decision yes. hurt? You know, this is a sad moment for me because I wanted her, and this interview just proves why she's such an important voice in our time and in journalism. Um, but let's just also celebrate what she's going to build at Howard University. We are at a moment in this country where um, race, again, has come to the forefront. And journalism is, it doesn't make friends. Journalism really makes people feel uncomfortable. And I understand that our job as journalists in preparing a whole new generation, a changed generation, is to really prepare them to, as we say here, ignite the public conversation. And boy, has Nicole ignited that public mm -hmm. conversation. And we'll be forever changed here, Nicole, and our faculty are supportive of you greatly. You know, we wanted you to come here to do great journalism because professors continue to produce great journalism. We wanted you here to really shape a new generation. We couldn't put the extra burden on you to try to heal everything we need to heal here at the public university. But I won't give up that fight. I know my faculty won't give up that fight. And we're united as a campus around. Do you I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe all white people are inherently racist? <sighs> so I don't know if you're backing me into a corner with that question, but yes, I, I do. Record heat, raging wildfires. Let's talk more about the why. Bill Weir is CNN's chief climate correspondent. Bill, more than two dozen scientists at World Weather Attribution minced no words in blaming humans for last month's deadly heat wave in the Northwest. It was virtually impossible without man-made climate change, they say. How important is that statement? I think it's hugely important, Anna. I mean, scientists, as a as a breed, basically, do not want to be considered alarmists. They're very conservative in how they attribute specific events, particularly in meteorology, and linking them directly. But as the evidence rolls in, it becomes undeniable. These numbers are so far off the charts in a part of the world that is so unused to this kind of uh, weather activity that they have to say this is a once-in-a-thousand-year event. And, of course, it's the result of, of humanity pumping sort of planet-cooking pollution in the sky and the ocean for now over a century, well over. The bipartisan portion of the infrastructure legislation does leave out most of those big climate initiatives that were promoted by the White House in the jobs plan. That leaves Democrats doing this alone on the reconciliation bill. I want to talk about how pivotal you think this is. The New York Times' Farhad Manju described it as a do-or-die moment. We'll put a little bit of his piece on the screen here. Is this hyperbole? If Democrats don't take advantage of the opportunity they have before them now with both chambers and the White House to address this, in a complete way, what are we looking at you know, around the corner in the next set of summer heat waves? It's not hyperbole what Farhad Manju wrote. I was quoted in that piece and I said that this is a, a window of opportunity. These windows for policy change in Congress, they open and they close. And the last time we had a chance to pass 
congressional legislation on climate was 12 years ago with the Waxman-Markey bill. And that's why it's so critical that actually 14 senators have stepped up and said, no climate, no deal, that they're not going to be moving forward on any legislation this summer without moving forward on a bold climate package. And we know what needs to be in that climate package. We need to be cleaning up our electricity system, getting to 80% clean by 2030. We can do that through a clean electricity standard and through uh, extending... These are really popular ideas that the public supports, and that's actually quite viable. That's a lot to unpack on that bad boy. So you basically have Good Morning American NBC excusing somebody uh, voting probably because of his race. That's why I put it here. That we're not teaching it, Frito says, but we are teaching it. Uh, Press conferences, they don't give a fuck. CRT teacher, uh, Hannah Jones in college going to teach it. Uh, that piece of shit literally saying Lamont Hill. Yeah. Everybody's racist. And then we have, of course, climate. So, I mean, if you're not getting your rights taken by the federal government, you're losing it everywhere else. And then when you try to push back NBC news in the wake of Donald Trump's 2020 election, many QAnon followers have has to plan run for school board. I'm hard-pressed to find anybody that even knows QAnon. You know, I sat yesterday. We've been selling a lot of my Jeep stuff online. Met a random guy. Used to be a Democrat. From Oregon. Just like me. He's an independent. Just like me. Voted against Trump. Both times. Voted for fucking Obama. Both times. He said the election was stolen. He started the conversation with me. He's a Democrat. But he was listing off things that made the election look like bullshit. This race shit's bullshit. He's married to a black woman. She thinks it's all bullshit. She's pulling her kids out of school because they were teaching shit she didn't like. And it was CRT. I think the media is missing the point. When things like this happen, it is not when it's the right, other than the Tea Party, I know there was money there. This is grassroots. But let me blow this up because you won't hear that in the media. They're still trying to spin it that it's the Nancy Pelosi because they work for Nancy Pelosi and it's AstroTurf. Angry parents battling over critical race theory, a lawsuit over the use of transgender student pronouns, a rash of school board meeting, Loudoun County, a wealthy area outside D.C. is fast becoming the face of the nation's culture war. Conservative activists and pundits across the United States have weaponized critical race theory to claim the equity-conscious school system are teaching children to hate one another and white children to hate themselves. It's actually true some say it's obvious why the country's in the spotlight it's a wealthy place where parents have the resources for advocacy campaigns and it's a long history of racial hatred they're already racist see in leesburg they're all racist <laughs> proving critical race theory is real you're just racist if you don't agree with us it's also a place of transition. The population rose by 150% in 20 years. A big reason for that is an influx of family of color. Boom, we're going to double down. The past. Now. You're just a racist. If you don't believe it, you're a racist. 
And then you get what they're teaching. This is a book. And it came from Rufo, and it went everywhere on Twitter. It just wasn't. It just wasn't normal people or uh, conservative people. At least 25 public school districts in 12 states are now teaching Not My Idea, a book that claims whiteness is the devil luring children with the promise of stolen land and stolen riches. Critical race theory is driving public education and must be stopped. He even busts out the list. And these schools, because, you know, once again, she said we're not doing it, but we're doing it. These are guaranteed full public schools. The idea that whiteness is a form of stolen land riches derives from one of the critical race theory founding texts, Whiteness is Property, authored by Cheryl Harris in 1993. They've directly adapted CRT for elementary schools. Now, you just look at the replies. You can go find that thread. It is like, what the fuck? But that's a book. And I'm brushing over it because I'm not even surprised. It's backed up by the next article. Woke tennis star Asaka lectures Americans on kneeling to support for racism. Do I have this? Lesson one. You can never please everyone. The world is divided now, as I can remember, in my short 23 years. Issues that are so obvious to me at face values, like we're in a massive pandemic, or kneeling to show support for all anti-racism, are ferociously contested. I mean, wow. So when I said I needed to miss French Open press conference to take care of myself mentally, I should have been prepared for what unfolded. Because... It's obvious if you talk to these kids that go to these schools and these little kids, they're little AOCs. That's why they're doing it. Federal government suppresses the oppositional views. Schools push it up. All federal institutions and schools meet in the middle. Everybody's brainwashed into liberal utopia intersectionality. We start burning churches like Canada. I swear to God, it's like that. You think it's crazy? This stuff four years ago was in Woke, where I played clown music and we laughed at it. Now it's federal law. Everywhere. Sean Davis, never seen him getting into this. Someone who clearly supports COT but won't admit it says it shouldn't be banned because we can't ban ideas or controversial topics. Introduce him to the critical education light theory for K-12, which argues 2020 was rigged and Trump won, and see how they react. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is such a good retort. It's not birtherism. It's critical or origin theory, and it merely posits a framework by which students can better understand the political power dialects of the 21st century. It's not moon trutherism. It's critical space theory, an alternative lens through which children can explore the vast beyond while considering the limits and potential of patriarchy obsessed with interstellar colonization. It's not flat earthism. It's critical geography theory, and it helps students to explore the world and themselves by tackling difficult concepts about space, time, and the idea that true reality and the construct are constrained by traditional man-made STEM frameworks. It's not intelligent design. It's critical evolution within a simulation of sorts that was created and is overseen by an omnipresent, omnipowerful, omnipresent creator. That's religion. You couldn't do that. Hmm. 
It's not anti-China xenophobia. It's critical pandemic theory, and it teaches students from the age of 2 to 22 that the arrogant, incompetent communist regime that imprisoned and enslaved its people created COVID-19 in a garbage lab. It's not an anti-Biden conspiracy theory. It's critical senility theory, and it analyzed decades of data on aging to provide children a way to think about how the 46th president is walking pudding pop who has no idea what's happening and is controlled by monsters with no souls he's spot on every time this stuff comes down I just go start teaching Christianity start start teaching Christianity start teaching conversion therapy Because in Christianity, being a homosexual is wrong. You can't do that in America. Chris Hayes, an intersectionalist, independent of current controversies, the one thing I think we do poorly in American history education is over-historically evils and atrocities. We learned they didn't know any better, but in every case there are contemporaries who did. Slavery was wildly controversial. The Trail of Tears was extremely controversial. Cormac Sue was 6-3 decision, and the dissenters were completely correct, and on and on. It's easy to say they don't know better than they chose evil. Nobody says that. Nobody. Nobody. They're saying you don't teach kids whiteness is the fucking devil, but you have a book that's doing it. We'll indoctrinate journalism students to honor Hannah Jones, the dean says. Who says that? Then you get this one, because it's all indoctrination. It's all fascism, but it's the good type of fascism. Ontario new math curriculum looks informative and rigorous. An equitable mathematics curriculum recognizes that mathematics can be subjective. I'm not even reading it. We've been down this road so many times. Don't prove your work. And then you look at this shit. This this flies in our new world right here. This is this is all cool. Having a barbecue, that whole story's gone, but you look at her staff. There's one white person. Maybe three now. Is that okay? Is it okay just to wipe away that she did that? And then we get into the sex, because that's the second tier. Pornography literacy classes are supposed to teach students how to critically assess what they see on the screen, but when a sex-positive educator taught her curriculum at two elite New York City schools recently, parents were outraged. Why is my kid learning that? Why? Bethany Mandel. What if schools just stick to math and reading? As a parent, I'd be comfortable exactly none of this being discussed with my child by anyone else. We have these conversations at home, and that's where they should remain. Schools can do parent continuing education nights to help them navigate how to have these conversations themselves. But it isn't up to the school to teach this. They seem to be believing Every aspect of the learning can only take place inside the school building. These are the very same people saying that if you teach people America's a good country, 
you're evil. Or if you're raising your kids religiously, you're evil. The very same people who say, we don't know, you can't build that village. You're a bad person. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I had to fucking look it up. Yeah. Gray asexuality or gray sexuality, a spectrum between asexuality and sexuality. Individuals identified with gray asexuality are referred to as being gray A or gray ace. And makeup was referred to as an ace umbrella bullshit that you just want to make up some shit. Cosmopolitan touts model actors for loving sex toys, hating liberals. This one. This was all over the internet like it was supposed to be important. Some lesbian won something. But the worst of them all was this. I'm not going to show that meme. Oh, it didn't come out. That's okay. A trans woman reportedly undressed in a spa. Customers said they were traumatized. And a protester ensued. This is the last two podcasts where we saw it happen. A black woman, a person of color, is supposed to be listened to in America. And if you don't listen to them, you're a fucking racist. We then had people protest outside it, exercising their constitutional rights. And they were beat the fuck down by Biden's brown shirts and Antifa, who we don't investigate. We don't have FBI panels. We don't have fucking committees. We don't have anything. They can just burn, bait, privilege, rape. And get released. This was the video uh, the Washington Post put in there. Ah, a bad file. We'll turn it up. The House recently passed the Equality Act, which aims to ban LGBTQ discrimination. No, this doesn't mean there's a gay agenda. I would know I'm a gay. This legislation is a positive step forward for the queer community, especially trans folks. But with that progress came swift backlash. Conservative lawmakers are weaponizing language, specifically sex and gender. We're taught that gender and sex are interchangeable terms very young. This is Jillian Brandstetter. She's a spokesperson at the National Women's Law Center. When you're growing up, uh, you're taught that boys have short hair and wear pants, and girls have long hair and wear dresses and skirts. And when you meet somebody who challenges those assumptions, be they transgender or be they just anybody who doesn't conform to your notions of gender, you take it as a threat to your understanding. Someone's sex and someone's gender are different things. Sex is biological and determined by... All right, I'm bored. Moving on. Matt Damon, and I'm just going to read this. I'm not going to blow it up. This is so, this sums up our world, all right? One Honda. In the movie, Damon plays a father from Oklahoma who travels to France to help his estranged daughter who's in prison for murder she says she did not commit. At a news conference on Friday, Damon said he spent time with rig workers in Oklahoma. Being invited to their homes at a backyard barbecue, a guitar comes out, and they start singing church songs. It's a very specific place and very different. To where I grew up. It was really eye-opening for me. These people are human. Variety reported that Damon did some of the things he noticed included. They all have goatees and sunglasses. They're not six-pack ab guys, but they're strong. He had they wore jeans with fire retardant that changed the way these guys walk. Damon also said having children has helped him relate to the character as he works to men's relationship with his daughter. Since I had kids, I feel like everything I a lot more available in my job emotionally. In the movie, Damon's character reportedly reveals he lost his voting rights due to a prior felony. But he says he would have voted for former President Donald Trump. They're in the oil business. Of course they voted for Trump. These guys don't apologize for who they are. Damon, a Democrat, had vocally criticized Trump in the past, including calling his response to Charlottesville absolutely boring. Stillwater's rather blah, 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 blah. 
And this is the same thing we hear. That's why when they started that, we're going to go out and talk to these little people. They stopped it. Because then you find out they're just normal people. They just don't live like you. That's why, ever doubted, have you ever doubted movie critics for overland and liberal, gun control, borders, anti-Trump, anti-Christian, income? Those normal movies don't get out there. They don't get Emmys. It's got to have a cause to get an Oscar. This is kind of sad. I'll cliff note it. She comes out, she goes to UFC, a bunch of shithead fucking... Garbage fire reporters find out, throw a fit, she gets fired. Scene. I'm not even going to read it. Uh, no. No. no th- these fucking people are garbage. They just think they're better than everybody else. They think they're better than everybody else they just are better than you they know more than you they're more educated than you your life's experience makes you garbage and it's shown with the way they lead i'm your parent shut the fuck up and do what you're told because they've lost the reality they work for us that's why this this became normal this was everywhere. Oh, it's so astounding. A Wyoming rancher was pinned by an all-terrain vehicle, survived on beer and bottled water. I saw comments that he's so rugged. He's a rugger guy, rugged guy. So rugged. This is perfect. Annual demographic report, fiscal year 2020. Office of Director of National Intelligence. Look at the picture. It's a shutterstock. And they photoshopped an impaired person. Because this is how these people live. This is their world. They're so obsessed with race and this and that and whatever. You know, I had a conversation with this lady in a dress. And I complimented her and said, hey, I don't want you to think I'm pervert, but I, I, I really like your dress. It's really nice. I'm married, blah, blah, blah. We start talking and she's got a grandkid that's getting all effeminate. And I said, I got one that's getting it. It's a scary world. You don't know what to do anymore. And even she said, I don't even know where we're from. I used to be liberal, but now I'm no longer a liberal. I'm what used to be a conservative. I said, that's where we're at. We're the people who say, you live your life. I live mine. I don't give a fuck. As long as I'm not calling you racial terms or you're not stealing my shit, I don't give a fuck. But these people don't live like that. Everything is titles, demographics. Enter Randy Weingarten. Your demography does not decide your destiny. Your zip code shouldn't determine whether or not you have resources and equity. Thank you for talking about school choice because that's exactly what she did. Two last things and we'll do This is America. 
I think I have these. Update on man with Legos. An original detention enforcement found a fully constructed uh, capital. The statement appears to be inaccurate. The Lego set was in a box and not fully constructed at the time of the search. But that went out on everywhere that this guy was the hidden genius before the attack. The mystery unravels in her article. Joe Biden's Justice Department wants Lego man kept behind bars. Federal agents seize a plastic replica capital from the Pennsylvania home, blah, 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 blah. Morrison Dangers is not limited to his past actions, but present and future threats. Assistant U.S. Attorney, blah, blah, blah. Capital about the certification, lawful, blah, blah, blah. We don't care. Not true. Doesn't mean anything. We don't give a fuck. Dude's going to jail. Once again, lying. Falsifying. Them say party will lose house unless filibuster is squashed. Because they won't be able to get their fucking Save the People Act or whatever they ended up calling HR1. So the sad thing is, my This is America today is actually somebody going on CNN and saying how stupid it is to bash the American flag. But that's the only one I can find in any of the Biden administration's media. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. I wanted to see what you both think about a an article in the New York Times that has garnered a lot of attention titled A Fourth of July Symbol of Unity That May No Longer Unite. This is about, of course, the American flag. And the author writes, today flying the flag from the back of a pickup truck or over a lawn is increasingly seen as a clue, albeit an imperfect one, to a person's political affiliation in a deeply divided nation. I'm first of all outraged that there are people out there who would make comments uh, based on whether somebody was flying a flag. In that story you referenced, there was a lady who didn't want to buy from the uh, farm because she thought the guy was a flag raising so-and-so, I think the story said. I mean, think about that for a minute. How deranged, how crazy have we gotten over our national politics that if you see someone flying an American flag, you run the other direction because you assume that you all don't agree on politics. It's crazy. Here are the flags that matter, the ones that our soldiers wear on their uniforms, the one on the moon, the ones that we revere as school children and say a pledge of allegiance to. We're not taking a pledge to any political party. We are taking a pledge to our country. Trump said he loved the flag, so now they say they got to be against it. It's nutty, it's reflexive partisanship, and it's awful, and it ought to stop. It won't. They're never going to let that go. It's their way to brainwash the masses. Because once again, in a fascist society, you hate everything about it, you burn it the fuck down, and you make it the way you want it. The problem is, tying back to our intro thread, 
these people who are following this cult, religion, they're not going to let you in either. You're just as bad as Trump because you're not one of them. So I want to end on a happy thing because this is kind of my life now. We're going to do our last man standing. Hey, Mike Baxter for Outdoor Man. You know, man has a long history of dogs. Ancient man bred these wolf hybrids to protect them when they're eaten around a fire. They also use that same dog to attack other cavemen. Big, huge, burly, nasty, fast, angry animals those dogs were. We've come a long way. We went from those to this. <laughs> bred entirely to be adorable. For those of you who are affected by such things, it's great. But for me, nothing. This, no feeling right here. <laughs> Don't care. Lick all you want, kid. You know, sometimes change isn't progress. Sometimes change is just change. Whether it's a hybrid dog or a store like Outdoor Men. Still doesn't work, kid. Back off. Just back off. You know, just because you can change something doesn't mean you should. Like this, Colt 45. <laughs> Basically, the, the same service mechanism they designed in 1911. I would call it the other man's best friend. <laughs> and all this month, we have this along with other items on sale, Outdoor Man, 40% off. So stop by, or the little guy gets it. And now I'm a little dog man. It's pretty embarrassing. Although my 100-pound wolf hybrid came in yesterday, the male got a hurt leg so we're kind of keeping him sequestered from the pack came up and laid on me i had to pet him for like an hour and my little itsy bitsy maltese poodle was looking up like what the hell is this so she hit on my shoulder it was a cute photo i won't put it online though because i looked like i was getting my ass kicked by a dog because I was. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Go to FOPPodcast.com where you can find this episode, last episode, on video and audio and links to Rumble and SoundCloud for all preceding episodes. Remember to disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. We're going to come back for a Friday show on 1-6-1-6, I say. 1-6, I say. July, Year of the Lord, 2021. I hope you all have a good week. Be safe out there. And I thank you, as always, for listening.